Hello and welcome back to Commish Talks. In today's episode, Josh sat down with Rachel Jacobson, the president of the Drone Racing League. The DRL is, well, it's a, a professional drone racing league that operates internationally and was founded in 2015. Today's episode, Josh and Rachel sat down to chat about the launch of the DRL season, their new game on Xbox, and the ins and outs of the Drone Racing League. We hope you enjoy. Rachel Jacobson, thank you for coming on to Commish Talks. Love having you on. Um, we are so looking forward to this conversation today. We traditionally have always had on commissioners as part of league team leagues, right? So these are 501c6s. Every team gets a vote. We talk about governance and structure, marketing and media. This is a little different. Today's a little different for us. We have a racing league coming on. And Personally, I just uh, divulge this to you. I don't know a lot about drone racing outside of some legal representation I did in the field. So we're excited today. I hope you are as well. As always, let's kick it off by asking you a little bit about your background, talk a little about DRL, and then we'll delve back into Genesis of where you first started. Well, first of all, Josh, thanks for breaking the rules. Like this is already going to be a great show because we started out, you know, non-traditional inviting me on the show. So uh, thank you for the invite. And I'd be uh, happy to dive in with my background. So I'm Rachel Jacobson. I'm the president of the Drone Racing League. I took this post mid-pandemic on the early side in the middle of April. Um, started out remote, met my entire team over Zoom. And we have some exciting announcements today as we have just been rocking and rolling. But before this, I actually started my career uh, coming out of undergrad at Cornell, working at the NBA. So Commissioner Stern had a management training program. I was one of seven people selected. And who thinks they stay at their first job 21 years, but I did. And circuitously just weaved my way within the NBA's um, uh, 44 different departments. I think I spent time in 15 before I exited as a free agent and did everything from events to sponsorships to global philanthropy. I don't think there was something I didn't touch in those 21 years, um, but I just felt like I wanted something different, swing for the fences, do something entrepreneurial. So I uh, left as a free agent, like I said, and I didn't stray too far from the NBA family. I was working for Mark Tatum, the NBA's deputy commissioner, and then showed up three months later working for his wife, Lisa Ski Tatum, who's an incredible visionary. And she had started a company called Landit that was all about accelerating women and underrepresented groups in the workforce, well above um, before our time of, of where we all sit today relative to really the acute focus on making sure that we're leveling the playing field um, across all sectors of business. And Landit was a personalized career pathing HR tech tool that companies bought on behalf of their employees and things were up and running, spent two and a half years there and got this incredible opportunity to come back to sports 
So I had um, kind of three months earlier before this job found its way to me, um, I had met with David Stern, who had always been a mentor, a close friend, almost like a second dad to me, how I affectionately uh, talk about our friendship. And we did our normal check-in on, on careers. And David said, when you go back to sports, you know, in his David voice, you can't just come back, you know, selling sponsorships or doing marketing campaigns. You have to do something innovative, tech-focused, and there's all these companies that he had been investing in um, prior to his passing when he left the MBA, and it was always forward-thinking, really tech at the foundation of how have sports evolved over time and how have leagues and teams and companies use technology to really accelerate everything from you know, biometric tracking on players, everything from, you know, where your heart rate indicates you're going to hit, you know, a better three-point shot or not to when injuries could be prevented. So there was so much happening there. And I kind of parked that in the back of my mind. Um, and I figured I would get back to sports. I love the industry and literally got a call from Michelle James and Roycey from James and Co. And went to meet with them at their offices, sat across the table, and they said, you're gonna be the next president of the Drone Racing League. And I kind of like tilted my head and said, tell me more, because just like you said, Josh, I mean, drones were cool. I have 10 year old boy, girl twins. So they're up to speed on like any cutting edge technology. But when they said it, there was like a spark that immediately went off. Well, what's the drone racing league? And I got to know a little bit. I took a first date with Nick Horvachevsky, the CEO and founder, and he pretty much had me at hello. He shared with me the vision that he had five years ago of literally building a mainstream global sports property and piecing together drones in the backyards of buildings and figuring out how we could make this sport the sport of the future. So I walked away from that first meeting and we won't tell him this. Maybe he'll be listening later. I'll put this on his dance card. Um, but like I said, everything that he wanted for this sport in terms of the growth and, you know, large scale events that they were doing, but whether it was broadcast partners or content providers corporate partners that we should be working with that are incredible marketers. Everything that he needed and wanted for this company, I knew I could bring on day one and be transformative. So I was incredibly excited. Um, and I took the job. I saw him in New York that first week in March, and then I never stepped foot in our office again in the last five months 
until recently I went back to uh, meet our drones before they were flying off to one of our events. But um, it's been incredible, Josh. And, you know, that probably gives you a little bit more of a snapshot. But um, that's pretty much been my career trajectory. And I'm five months on the job here at, at DRL. That's a lot to unpack. And it's an amazing story. <laughs> And by the way, you have zero energy, so I don't know how you got hired on the spot like that. But anyways, uh, I mean, you're, it's amazing. It's an amazing career path. Your energy is amazing. I love it. Um, so let's start with one thing I found intriguing. You mentioned David Stearns twice, and we celebrate on this podcast, commissioners. We, we feel like we need to tell commissioner stories because they can't tell it for themselves. So talk a little bit more about David's influence on you and your career, some of the things he left you with and things, maybe learnings in the MBA that only he could have brought there. Yeah, I mean, we could spend this whole show and it was David's, you know, would have been his birthday yesterday. So I've been very reflective, you know, about him, not just these past several months with so much going on in the world, but he's such a driving force with so many decisions that I make and just how I've attacked this opportunity. And, you know, one of the things that I loved early on about David is he doesn't mince words. So you know exactly what he is thinking um, because he, he wears everything just out loud. And it was one of those things where, you know, you're growing up at the MBA, you may or may not have interactions with David and until you got a, you know, a little bit more senior in terms of actually sitting in a boardroom, you could run into him in the elevator and it was like, oh, you know, what do you say? Do you say something about business or not? But I never was um, intimidated by any of that. As you could tell, Josh, from just us spending a little bit of time, like I'd go right in there, like pick politics, pick whatever was going on with Gary Bettman over at hockey. And I would just say, you know, what do you think about this? And it was really early on that I saw his investment in my career and really wanting the NBA to be an organization that had the most diverse um, set of employees. And you knew every day, whether you were male, female, black, white, different ethnicities, that everyone had a seat at the table. So I had the good fortune of really feeling like I never fell behind being a woman. And one of my favorite stories um, that I tell about David is, so I got pregnant while I was working and I was pregnant with twins. And I just, you know, like anything, first time pregnancy, twins, high risk. You know, I, I waited a little bit longer to tell people. And I got a call from David's office. I was four months pregnant. And he said, do you have something to tell me? And I was like, what, what? Did I close a deal? Did I? And he's like, come to my office, you know, let's catch up. And I went to his office, kind of waddling along, even at four months with twins. And he's like, do you have something to tell me? And obviously he had known um, through a, a couple other people that I had told them I was expecting. Um, and he just said, you know, congratulations. And really from that point forward, David and I had committed to the NBA being incredibly supportive for working moms. And, you know, I feel like 
one of my legacies at the league was to really set that path forward and put together, you know, such an opportunity for other, you know, soon to be moms, working moms to know that we can make this work. Cause I told David, you know, if I don't come back and we don't show what example does that set? I was co-chair of the NBA's women's network. So, you know, it was a kind of funny story about, you know, David obviously finding out that I was pregnant and always wanting to be in the know, you know, not feeling like he was last to know. Um, but really, Josh, um, you know, I tell that story because, you know, I came back after four months, I was able to hit the ground running. I had incredible support. And all those other moms that said to me, kind of back on the job, how did you do it? You know, I feel like, you know, I set the example. I try to every day, but that's because I had David's support to know that I was juggling a hundred things um, and we were going to make this work. That is so cool because that transcends sports from a leadership perspective. It wasn't a story, but we got this huge deal done with NBA China or whatever it was. It was about true homegrown leadership and doing what's right for the person, uh, which then feeds into the organization and the culture. So I really appreciate that story. Just so you know, I, I mean, all I hear is great things about that man. Like, I don't know if you know Sean Hunter at all. Sean Hunter was with, I think, the Nuggets for a while. And Sean now owns a team in one of my leagues. And he speaks glowingly about David Stearns and, and his influence even on him, not even working in the league office. So um, what a cool story. And I really appreciate that. I want to pivot back into Drone Racing League because I, I forgot, I did forget to mention this. I do have a little more knowledge about drones because I actually owned a summer collegiate baseball team that I named the drones. So much like you, I thought, Boy, you know, drone racing's taking off and people are becoming accustomed to it. And I wanted to create a baseball name that was around technology because baseball is this like social institution, very antiquated. I wanted something cutting edge that kids could latch onto. And in between innings, we used to actually race drones between the lights, the light poles. And we have a logo. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I should send you actually some hats. I want that and the footage. Logo. I will send you what we have. Now, the on-field product was not very good, but the name and the in-between innings entertainment was awesome. It's the only thing that like really survives in my memory. So that being stated, you have some initiatives at Drone Racing League that I think are really cool that a lot of other leagues haven't cracked the code on, especially like emerging leagues like yours. Tell us a little about Xbox and what was announced today. Talk about some upcoming events. Fill us in on where it's at, and I'll probably pepper you with some questions. And then the last one, I'm going to preface it, it's going to be about gambling. So launching. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Anything to keep our fans engaged. And I'm a horse racing girl. So I grew up at the racetrack before any other, <laughs> the other sports you could bet on. Um, so yeah, let's talk about drone racing and Xbox. So our sport is built to really blur the line between the digital and the real. So we've been straddling esports and live events really for the past several years. We'll fly around Hard Rock Stadium in Miami or Chase Field or Allianz, and then we'll go, you know, to palaces in Europe. So really, we've been able to build this sport flying around iconic locations. But then we also have our DRL simulator that's been on Steam. So 
you can be on that simulator and literally spend the time and then go out and know how to fly a drone. So unlike NBA 2K, which by the way, I love and my kids love, I can't step outside and be Steph Curry. Like it doesn't work that way. But because our game is so true to life, you can play the game and then again, go out and compete to be a drone pilot. So the big news for us today is we launched on Xbox, which is a complete game changer because now we're on console. So Steam was terrific platform for us. But when we think about being a mainstream sport, and as I have 10-year-olds, you know, that are on their Xbox and their friends, now they can compete on our DRL race. And that just builds that fandom for, again, the next generation of tech-loving sports enthusiasts, which is really the foundation that our sport is built on. That's phenomenal. So one thing that I've learned about esports, I, I dealt with some esports attorneys and talked to them. The one thing you've transcended is the following. NBA 2K, you mentioned you can't go outside and be Steph Curry. Also, I can go watch the NBA on television right? So it's like computer plus I watch just that might get lost in the shuffle. And this is in context, by the way, of money, revenue events, how big the game can grow. Then on the flip side of that, those attorneys thought the mythical games like uh, World of Warcraft, Fortnite, where their fictional characters is unique in itself. But with DRL and drone racing on Xbox, it's in fact um, real life because you can take it and do real life and you can be Steph Curry. You literally, there's nothing athletically preventing you from being that person in real life. Plus the game is sim. I guess it's perfectly similar to playing outside in a real drone. So you've transcended both of those worlds, which I think is super intriguing and the growth of it could be phenomenal. So I'll, I'll ask you this similar video games in terms of racing in the past. How does this differ in terms of the appeal for, the person playing. I assume there's been NASCAR games. There's been indie games. I played pole position all the way back when arcades were a thing. Talk about the differentiation from what other racing games on the market right now and why yours is better. Love that commercial. Thanks for the layup, Josh. Um, so our game, you know, when you think about our sport, it's like a real world video game when you see us in person. And now we bring that and we give people the opportunity to fly from their living rooms and basements or wherever their caves are within their homes to play on Xbox. But the difference is you're learning how to do something that you can do in real life. You know, we're not a fighter game. We don't have the violence. Um, and again, as a mom of 10 year olds, um, that is a big selling point here. This is much more aspirational to being able to actually be an engineer or a scientist or something in the technology field if you spend the time on our game. And by the way, this isn't Candy Crush. This is a harder game to play but it is a badge of honor when you spend the time learning this because it's competitive and you should hear what's coming from my basement because I have Lily and Brody who had a little bit of a sneak peek on the game. You know, your mom works at the league. So we may have gotten like a test product to get the kinks out obviously before it was launched, but they're competitive. But what I love about it is, 
there is a level playing field between boys and girls, men and women. Lily could be just as good as our game as Brody is. So we're already setting the tone and drones that go zero to 90 in real life, you can imagine how quick they're going on TV. So it's thousands of lights in all of this like spectacle of colors and the whizzing of the drones, you know, it, it has that appeal of like adventure seeking, fast moving, innovative, tech savvy, that you're going to like this. So we have a lot going for us because of the movement. You, you don't need to like, you know, wait for the sport to build. You're right in the cockpit and you're able to feel like you are flying, which again, just back to being a inclusive sport. I've had people from all around the world talk about, you know, maybe they weren't the best athlete or maybe they were the best athlete. They can do this. The way that our sport is set up with the controllers, with the mental capacity of you learning the sport, you can absolutely feel like you don't have the limitations that maybe you would have based on height, size, or anything else that's going to hold you back. And, you know, I wake up every day feeling like that puts us in such a great position when you think about the future of sports. That's phenomenal because that adds to what I talked about earlier. You transcend both those realms of gaming, NBA 2K, Fortnite, World of Warcraft, because not only can you step outside and perform the same way you are within the game, but men and women can do it equally, which is like completely separate from stepping out from NBA 2K out to the physical court. So that is a phenomenal piece I really didn't think about right away when you said that because now your audience and your potential gamers and really racers are two times what typically they would be in different different segments of sports. So that that is awesome. Uh, regarding gaming further, and really goes back to the NBA and David Stern. So he was famous for creating the athlete's first marketing um, position. So Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, mid-80s, they put them to the forefront ahead of teams. How is DRL doing the same thing? And is that a path where you want to create those athletes as the forefront of your marketing, or is it different? No, it's, it's actually great timing. I was on the phone with our 12 championship pilots literally last week unveiling for them our marketing campaign. So giving them a first look kind of peek under the hood because our athletes, just like any other sport are so foundational to the success of, you know, our growth and our, and our fan engagement. So I've approached this very similar to meeting NBA players before their draft day in June. And it's everything from, you know, why do you race? What cereals do you eat before competition? Like what matters to you philanthropic initiatives? And I want to put them center stage. There is absolutely no reason that we don't have the iconic athletes that other sports have. I have, PhDs that have learned how to fly drones, again, getting all the educational degrees that would set them up to be, uh, you know, a surgeon. And then I have other, you know, 16, 17 year olds, like fighting their way into the league, um, you know, when they get of age, 
that literally live on airport hangars. Their parents have moved them there and they have trained on our DRL sim and now they fly in our championship league. So you are going to see us really pivot this season to put the spotlight on a number of our pilots to get to know them. Um, you know, in my own household, mommy took a new job mid-April. The kids got up to speed pretty quickly. It's, you know, a, a small learning curve, Josh. Like, I feel like if I had a little bit more time with you today, you'd be right there in, in here in terms of sitting where I'm sitting and, and understanding our sport. But, you know, my kids learned there's 12 pilots. They see where they live full time. They hear about how they got to be drone pilots. It's almost like, you know, um, trading cards coming back. You know, I know why I love that growing up. It's like the rookie card. And then when do the cards evolve about what a player is doing in their career? How did they do in their first DRL season? Where are they now in their third season? But, you know, these pilots have personalities. Brody loves Fluxy. You know, he's got this like kind of bad boy look with a beard and, you know, chest out kind of tougher than nails but then you find out he's a total sweetheart you know and that comes out in his interviews um and then you have vanover that i think my daughter has a disney like crush on um who's you know our 2019 champion so we've got that appeal and then i have my mother who i got in trouble because she does listen to my podcasts and interviews um, my mother, who's obviously older than, than me, we won't disclose her age, um, but she loves Gab. You know, she's out there all in on Gab, maybe because he's got the PhD um, and she's an educator, but it's, it's a multi-generational sport. We have something for everyone. And I'm going to put those pilots out there because they are individuals that you're going to want to root for. Cool. I, on Commission Talks, I, I can't leave this podcast without asking some governance questions because every league is set up differently. And a lot of our listeners are in the field of governing sports or in administration in some role. So typical league team set up 5-1-C-6, each team gets a vote. League sponsors help subsidize league initiatives. Some leagues pay dues depending on how big they are or how small they are. What does the setup of governance look like at DRL? So we, I mean, it's, it's, it's much simpler um, than other sports properties. So we invented the sport. We own the ecosystem. The pilots are part of our family. Um, we made the rules. We can revise and kind of break them. So it's pretty contained. And, and that just going back to uh, David, when I was growing up at the NBA, he was a huge aggregator. Like he wanted me to be frontline sales, talking with companies about everything globally in basketball that you would want as part of your portfolio. And we pretty much have the same setup too. We produce our own shows. So we have a whole media team who does that. And then, you know, we ship it off to our global broadcast partners, um, to Twitter, who does the live stream, or NBC, um, who airs us as well. So it's not too complicated, at least right now, because of the way our ecosystem is set up, Josh, and the fact that, you know, we own all of it. 
That's fascinating. So um, DRL was started, you said five years ago, the vision yes. for it. Uh, was a startup. Did it take venture capital money to get going or was this brought in through sponsorship money, bootstrapped up? What does it look like? Yeah. So we have a great um, roster of investors. Everyone who's in sports, tech, or media to really complement our growth. When you think about who you want in your corner, kind of cheering you on, opening doors. So we have an incredible set of investors um, and in addition to that, more similar to traditional sports, there's the different verticals where you would expect the revenue streams to come from. So everything from sponsorships to ticket sales and soon to be merchandise. So that's another big initiative this fall. More to come, Josh, if I behave myself and get asked back. <laughs> that's awesome. So delving in a little further on that, Governance-wise, on a league or event-to-event -event basis, are you doling out the discipline and punishment for misbehavior by your champion racers, championship racers? Um, so the good news is, because um, one of the questions that I did ask Nick before taking this job, did anybody get hurt or in trouble that I should know about before I sign up? Um, so the good news is we're clean sport. Um, like I said, we we haven't had anything that didn't hit my desk or radar um, prior to our five years, but the buck does stop with us in terms of disciplines. And as we evolve and bring on different advisors and competition committees that we do have assembled, um, as you can imagine, just as our sport continues to grow and, and evolve in terms of the setup, you know, we'll look to uh, readdress those areas as needed. But uh, right now, and at least when I saw the 12 pilots last week, you know, they're energized to do whatever they can, you know, to uh, support DRL as to our vision for growth. So that dovetails into my last question about gambling. <laughs> So everybody is trying to get in this huge pot of money from DraftKings and everybody else, William Hill, Penn, and especially leagues similar to what I govern and what you're discussing. How do we get a piece of that pie? Now, one of the major questions, if we're not at the big five, is integrity. And when I look at DRL, one of the questions I would think of when it comes to gambling is, is there potential integrity issues, both from the tech side and then obviously the racer compensation side? And I'll leave that there and then ask you, what's the future of gambling with DRL? So, so somebody did a good press briefing for you, Josh, because I feel like everything that I am losing sleep over has been on your radar today in terms of questions that we are talking about. So we have an Xbox game out on console. So that's a huge point of engagement. And when I think about watch DRL on air globally, I think about play, we're on Xbox. I think about bet and I think about buy because I told you about the merchandise. So when we talk about bet, we're a sport that is like tailor-made for gaming. And we're tailor-made for gaming because when you look at our programming, even a one-hour show right now um, that we've done, we have several heats 
that lead up to final rounds. So it's not just a 60 minute show and there's a winner and there's a loser. There are winners in each heat. There are crashes, again, nonviolent. <laughs> um, and then ultimately there are champions. So there are so many opportunities um, when you are watching and it's, it's almost a little bit akin to horse racing, as I mentioned earlier, because I grew up, um, my grandparents owned, so I've been involved in this sport my whole life, but there's a race that goes off every minute around the country. So you think about the gaming potential and horse racing, you know, was already taking bets well before a couple years ago, the other sports got sanctioned to do that. So it was a little bit of before I started, I made some calls, you know who the NBA is partnered with. And I said, what do you think about betting on drones? And they said, immediately. So we did fantasy um, during COVID, May, June, and July on our broadcast with our friends at FanDuel. And now as we think about, you know, what the future holds, you're going to see us diving in head first. And again, you know, that is what is keeping me up and getting me up early to get us partnered with the right companies that also see the fact of Josh, you mentioned the big five. You know, I went out, I got data, research, analytics, and insights because I want to be front lines telling companies where DRL fits within their other properties. If they're with golf or tennis, that's terrific. I want you to stay with golf and tennis, but you are sleeping on the future of a customer and consumer base because I look at the big five and my research shows I only have a 30% overlap. So there is a 70% new audience that I bring on day one that they don't have right now. That, that is so true. Cause you're already, if you're one of those betting companies, your demographic, I would assume would skew a lot younger in terms of what's watching tennis and golf. Right. I, I just, just an assumption, not making any, uh, you know, <laughs> statements, but that's just my guess. So that is phenomenal. I will tell you in our leagues, we've obviously been venturing this too. And the counsel we're getting from consultants is you need a medium in between going from no betting to betting. And that medium is fantasy. Fantasy, yep. some sort of engagement, pick six, whatever it is, salary cap, DraftKings model, but no real money. And then you flip the switch into money once you have the data on your consumers and the volume and activity to make that happen. The integrity issue will still be a hurdle for some of the lower level leagues in terms of can the bookies or the book uh, groups, William Hill, DraftKings, uh, FanDuel, when they see the, the pop in betting, are we going to be able to stop it in time? Because let's face it, our athletes are not paid as much money, at least in the leagues I govern, maybe yours are. Um, that'll be an issue going forward. I don't know if you have any further comment on the integrity portion. Yeah. I mean, the integrity, as you can imagine, we're going to partner with the top tier firms that do this day in and day out. And because they've seen so much and they work with the preeminent sports, they just take a look at our setup and make sure that we partner to have those systems in place. And, you know, everyone has my commitment as I just came off a board meeting last week that we are going to be set up for success and partnered with 
those key companies that again are aligned with our best interest on the integrity side, on the gaming side with data feeds and also like what states um, are out there, you know, taking bets on our races as well. That's awesome. That's the only way, Josh, I know how to roll coming from the NBA. (laughs) That's right. You shoot high, you know? (laughs) There's no doubt. I I come from a somewhat different world uh, in minor league sports, but I congratulate you for what you've done at DRL. I look forward to what you're going to do. Like I said, my time in drone racing has been limited, but it's been exciting when I've been there and I've seen the possibilities. And after talking to you, I never realized some of the other opportunities that are out there, especially in terms of demographics and what's going on. So our time today, much appreciated. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking again in the near future. Thanks so much, Josh. Great being here. Thanks, Rachel. Hey, podcast fans. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Commission Talks. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time.